We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna With the 19th pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Buffalo Bills select Shaq Lawson. The Buffalo Bills select Reggie Ragland, linebacker, Alabama. The Buffalo Bills select Adolphus Washington, defensive tackle, Ohio State. With the 139th pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Buffalo Bills select Cardell Jones, quarterback, Ohio State. And now with the 156th pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Buffalo Bills select Jonathan Williams, running back from Arkansas. 192nd pick in the 2016 NFL Draft. The Buffalo Bills select Colby Lissenby, wide receiver, Texas Christian. With the 218th pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Buffalo Bills select Kevon Seymour, defensive back, USC. Well, there you have it, folks. That's the 2016 Buffalo Bills Draft Class. Hey, I'm Drew Gear. Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, and that's Chris Kruger producing, and welcome to the Rock Pile Report. This last draft was the most interesting one I've seen in recent history. There was a boatload of trades, most of them by the Browns. There was reaches, and there was even a surprise scandal, like it was some kind of a soap opera (laughs) moments before the draft kicked off. It was awesome. Chris was, was not in attendance to the draft party that I threw because he had a date. Yep. I, I st- I'm still shaking my head over that one. But <laughs> now everyone here around Buffalo is a, just generally has a good vibe about the way things went. But not to be outdone, I think the best reaction to a single pick in this entire draft goes not to Cardell Jones or to Eric Stryker, but to fellow podcaster slash YouTuber EDP445. Stupid, silly, f***. Roger Maris hit a bunch of home runs from the state of North Dakota, saying we just hit a home run for the Bison. That motherfucker is a monster. I don't give a f***. He 
<laughs> he gets pretty pumped up about this stuff. And then he takes it a step further when trying to break down for his YouTube followers why he likes Carson Wentz. Yo, real sh- though, I like the way that nigga plant that motherfucking foot though. It's kind of like how Michael Vick do it, right? My nigga say hype, he plants that foot like that sexy as f- right? He, he make that bounce step. He drops back, right? And that nigga go, look, 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 look. My nigga say hype, he goes, my nigga bounce like this. I think if you can't tell already, there's a reason we can't have EDP on our show. <laughs> it would yeah, just be, it would he be, swears way too much. It would, be, it would be impossible for Chris to ever get it out in time with all the edits. But he's fired up. Although I also think it's funny that he's comparing Carson Wentz to Michael Vick when it comes to footwork. Because one of them was almost like a track athlete playing quarterback. And one of them is a big goony white guy. I think he just is, he's making some correlation to the way that, like, their f- step into the throw is a bounce step. I don't know. But in any event, before we start breaking down the draft, we've got Buffalo, we've got our, this week's Buffalo Bills news update. Now, I'm sure you've all heard by now, but Cordy Glenn signed a five-year deal with the Buffalo Bills shortly after the draft. Whaley wasn't kidding about getting back to work as soon as it was all over. Now, they announced it yesterday, and he's earning the second most guaranteed money for a left tackle ever. Surprisingly, though, when you look at the numbers on paper, it's a fair deal and one that's going to be manageable for the team going forward. So, yeah, it's just great to see the team finally... Re- all of the people who suffered through the Jerron... The Gailey era. Malarkey. The Malarkey era. Have gotten so used to our best players establishing themselves and then leaving in free agency that the fact that we're keeping the core of this team together, it's refreshing. You know, and it's it's gonna continue this trend of continuity that the Bills are trying to establish, which is awesome. Well, what have I been saying all season long is that I don't think Cordy Glenn is gonna be back. I thought he was gonna he was going to have his set price and overvalue himself for what Doug Whaley wanted to pay him. And he really, Cordy Glenn had a so-so season. So now, you know, if, if, he, if we didn't get this deal done, we would know coming into this one-year deal he has, he would have to bring his A game if he wanted to get paid. But eventually they came together and, uh, you know, I pulled out of my oven before we started whole crow. <laughs> and I ate it, and it was delicious. And in other news, Matt Slauson is visiting Buffalo, the veteran guard and tackle. He's been hanging out here, having a cup of coffee, meeting with Doug Whaley. My takeaway from it is that they're just going to start mulling through the second wave of free agency, trying to fill whatever depth needs they couldn't get in the draft. I mean, offensive line, we didn't make a, a pick at that selection so it would make sense that they would probably kick the tires to see who else can be brought to camp. I don't hate it, you know, but I think that if, you know, as long as it's close to the veteran minimum, I'm okay with that. Let me ask you this. We got Slauson in for a visit. We sign him. Is that an upgrade from Craig Urbic? Mr. Mediocre Craig Urbic? Listen, Craig Urbic was a guy who wasn't ever supposed to be a stud for us. He was supposed to be a guy who could come in and fill, you know, spot start. And that's what he did. You know, that's what he did. So no one can fault him for that. 
Oh, boy. We got a lot to go over here, guys. Buckle your chin straps. First off, for the first time in what feels like years, as far back as I can remember, it seems like the first time the media as a whole has been generally supportive of a Buffalo Bills draft. With the exception of Pete Prisco, who gave us a C. The funny thing is I like Pete Prisco. I like him, which is why it's hard for me to take him seriously when I see this. But it seems like everyone else has actually been pretty congratulatory of Doug, the job Doug Whaley did. Here's Elliot Harrison from NFL Network. I like Buffalo. Okay. Uh, I agree with Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville had the best draft, period. Period. But for okay. defense here, I'm going the Bills. You know, after they lost Mario Williams, uh, people thought this defense is going to be a little bit worse. Not that Mario Williams had a great year last year, but the Bills' defense, I would say Cole was a disappointment last year after what they had done the year before. Absolutely. But they get Shaq Lawson in the first round. Okay, then they swing around. They get Reggie. There you see Shaq Lawson right there. Nice pick with the commission. Then they get Reggie Raglan in the second round. Good inside linebacker, a thumper, a lot of people would call him. In round three, they get Adolphus Washington, who's got some nice moves in the pass rush position. And I even like their six-round pick, Seymour, this kid out of USC, a good athletic corner. But Shaq Lawson, Reggie Raglan in the first two rounds, I was thinking, boy, this Bills defense is going to be a lot better this year. And don't forget, with the Patriots situation the way it is, maybe Buffalo make a little run there. Yeah. That's incredible to hear people in the background saying, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Oh, here. Normally, someone would have asked that they would have immediately pulled that guy off the air and breathalyzed him just to see if he was actually sober that day. It's crazy. But like you said, Shaq Lawson, Reggie Reggie, we added a lot of value here in this draft. And I'm going to try to break it down here pick by pick. You know, we're going to talk about it. First off, pick number 19, Shaq Lawson. Who thought he would be there at 19? Not me. When I, and then based on his comments, not Doug Whaley, but I mean, they were fielding trade offers for that pick, but as they saw Lawson dropping down the board, they gambled on the fact he would be there and they just held tight. I was sitting on my hands at one point because I'm like, I can't. I don't, I'm not going to get too excited about this. I also don't want to throw things. Like, let's just see what happens when the pick comes up. And if he's on the board and they screw this up like they did with Brian Arakpo and Aaron Mabin, I'll be outside. And that's where everyone can find me. Now, the fact that they landed him is huge. I'm of the mindset that this pick is a win. The few prospects in the first round were more divisive based on talent and where people think, you know, what people think they're capable of than Lawson in the scouting community. I know um, Bleacher Reports, uh, Justice Mosqueda. He has him listed as one of his force players. And I have to agree because I think he's a great compliment to Jerry Hughes. He's going to win with power and technique. Hughes is going to bring your speed. And he's going to be that guy with that quick bend to get around the corner, come around the edges. Rex is going to be able to play games with the offensive line where he can move either one of those guys because their pass rushing styles are so different. So once someone starts to get used to one technique, he swaps them around. Now you're now you've got a right tackle who's been dealing with a power. You know he's been used to a bull rush all game, and all of a sudden he has to try to bend and get around that edge. It's it's just going to bring a lot more complexity to our defense. Yeah, I I think that that's going to be the key to Shaq Lawson's success is how, where Rex puts him and how he uses him. And it's going to be a lot of fun trying to see what kind of blitzes that Rex can scheme up to utilize. You know both of their skill sets. We can expect to see Shaq Lawson line up on left side, right side. Anywhere. Because that's what he that's what Rex him. likes. Yeah. Versatility. Yep. And he's also really good against the run, which means he's not going to be a light. 
He's not just a one-trick pony. Like, that was the one thing I didn't like about Noah Spence. If we drafted a guy like Noah Spence, he's going to come in here and he can edge rush. But what can he give you in the running game? Because if he's a liability there, teams will just run at him, and it negates a lot of what he brings to the table. The fact that Shaq Lawson's a dual threat and the fact that he has shown the ability to pass rush, but he's also fantastic against the run, he's you know he's going to be a dual threat in that aspect, and it's going to change the way offenses have to prepare for us. I know Bucky Brooks of NFL Network is a huge fan of his, and here's what he has I think to say Shaq Lawson will have a huge impact because when I look at what Shaq Lawson will be asked to do, he's going to feel the role departed by Mario Williams. Mario Williams didn't necessarily buy into the scheme, wouldn't necessarily make the sacrifice to play with the discipline. Shaq Lawson would do that. And when I look at Shaq Lawson on tape, sets the edge as a run defender, has sneaky quickness as a pass defender, great with his hands. He can play on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And if he doesn't make the play, he's going to create opportunities for others to make the play. And really, when I look at the Bills' defense, I love the young guys that they have added. Reggie Ragland being a force in the middle, Adolphus Washington being a guy that can play on the inside. Then you add Shaq Lawson. This defense should get back on track. I think you have more guys willing to buy into their role and because of that, all the pieces of the puzzle fit together now. I see Shaq Lawson. Shaq Lawson and Kevin Dodd did pretty well for themselves last season. You know, Kevin Dodd coming normally against the right tackle, Shaq Lawson coming off the left side or the right side of the defense, what have you, against left tackles. So, like in the Alabama game, Kevin Dodd worked our right tackle. I'll admit it. I'm a, I'm, I'm a huge Bama fan. Watching Kevin Dodd work our right tackle, it was ugly. But that was happening because he was singled up because we were double and sometimes double and then chipping Shaq Lawson with a running back or a tight end because they were not going to let Shaq Lawson take over that game. So <laughs> the thinking of what he could do with, you know, maybe a, not similar athletes, but a much better pass rusher and Jerry Hughes, seeing what those two can do together is going to be a lot of fun. I cannot wait for September to get here. Shaq Lawson, I think, will be able to make a fantastic impact to start the season. Oh, I, I think he's – I'm going to temper my expectations, but I, I do expect him to have a solid career. Do I think he's going to be the next Mario Williams? No. But at the same time, I do expect him to be a, a valuable contributor to this team. Yeah, and only time will tell across – uh, mini camps, training camps, and if he picks up the uh, Rex Ryan defense mm-hmm. and blows people away. Because we remember the last year, the thing was Jerry Hughes was getting pulled off the practice field because they couldn't get the offensive line calls down because he was just beating everybody with speed. Mm-hmm. When I think early on in the season when Mario Williams was actually trying, you saw that. But then as the season went off, Teams figured out that Mario was going half speed, and so then they'd single him up and roll roll protection to Hughes' side, and it basically mitigated any impact that Hughes might have tried to make. We're going to see. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't believe Shaq Lawson was there, and I thought that for sure we would find a way to screw it up, but we didn't. Now, speaking of being an Alabama homer, you I am in the process pick. of picking up my number 59 jersey. I loved this pick. I almost flipped things off the table when we were watching it live. I'm a homer, so obviously I love the pick. And I guess the thing is the biggest knock on Raglan, and I think the reason why he was available where he was, is that people don't think he's a three-down linebacker in the NFL. You don't think any of his aorta issues came into effect? I think that helped. 
But at the same time, I, I, I firmly believe that people, I mean, every mock draft you read, people call him a two-down thumper. They, they refer to him as a rundown specialist. I think this is a player who played. Now, Alabama has been one of the better defenses in college football over the last six, seven years, right? Since they had Saban. Can you, can, since Saban came back six years or so, can you agree with me that they've been one of the most, well, one of the strongest defensive teams in the college game? As a supporter of the Auburn Tigers, they have dominated college football consistently since Nick Saban got there. Okay. So now, what I'm going to say is this on dime package. Okay, dime package. They have a linebacker, Reuben Foster. Reuben Foster is more hes more of an athlete. He's faster. He's better at the whole zone coverage thing than Reggie Ragland is. I shouldn't say better. He's not as experienced, but at the same time, he's more of a fluid athlete than Reggie Ragland in the passing game. Reggie Ragland was the dime middle linebacker for Alabama's defense. So what does that tell Now, if Nick Saban trusts this guy to go out there and protect the middle of the field in the shallow zone on, on obvious passing downs, what does that say about his ability to play the pass and possibly grow into a three-down role here in the NFL? Totally possible because um, even after we had drafted Reggie Ragland, they had asked Doug Whaley about the learning curve for Ragland, and Doug Whaley basically said... Alabama's defense is the most comparable to the Bills' defense. And here's Doug Whaley from BuffaloBills.com. Another thing that was very intriguing about him, he runs a similar defense already at Alabama, so he might be able to come in and pick it up as, as a lot quicker than a, a normal rookie because it is a complex defense. Now, he gets it. The fact that he was out there to call this Nick Saban defense which is the closest thing to an NFL defense that any of these college guys ever see, that speaks volumes to the guy's just intelligence and just his ability to play the position. Plus, if even with the minimized value, you know, the perceived, you know, him only being a two-down linebacker, he was still a consensus first-round pick. So the fact that he was available in the second round just pre- – People might want to pan the fact that we gave up a fourth-round pick to get up to get him, but I don't care because that— that We we had two fourth-round picks. Yeah, we had two. We had two, so we just gave one away. We gave one away and snagged a guy who was a consensus first-round pick that happened to fall out of it. Yeah, and uh, of any of the top linebackers, Jalen Smith, huge knee injury issues. Mm -hmm. Miles Jack, huge knee issues. Yeah. Reggie Ragland, I mean, he's got some kind of aorta issue, but, you know— being a linebacker and you wanting to play with speed, if you are coming into this league with those kind of knee issues as Miles Jack and Jalen Smith, give me Reggie give me Reggie Ragland all day. Well, not only that, but the thing I like most about Reggie Ragland is just the imposing brand of defense he plays. Anybody who's go, do yourself a favor, go to YouTube and just look up the top two highlight videos that show up when you go when you when you search for it. Watch them. It takes about ten minutes out of your day. What you're going to see is a guy who brings the hammer when he tackles. But the thing I love about him the most is that in all of these massive hits you'll see him deliver, not ever do you see him. He makes a lot of wrap tackles, a lot of dragon tackles. You'll notice two things. One, his tackles don't get broken. People don't break it. He's a solid form tackler. His tackles don't get broken because he doesn't lunge a lot. He takes good angles to get to the ball. But not only that, when he gets there, if you look... Normally, when you see a guy getting popped, it's because the guy tackling him dives into him. 
that at the NFL level with the shiftiness of running backs and wide receivers and things of that nature, it just leads to misses. You whiff more often than you make if you if you just throw yourself at an opposing player. All of his tackles, his head is up. He sees these guys, and he wraps and drives with his legs. It's impressive. Last night, I called into the AFC East Bros podcast. We're going to have Kyle on here in a minute. But one of the things we talked about last night is we took Raglan. They took in the first round Duran Lee. And I had said Raglan's probably going to make an easier transition because of having Preston Brown there, who is our best linebacker. And, you know, I don't follow the Jets, but I couldn't name any of their linebackers that Teron Lee is going to be learning from. No, he's going to sit behind it. And E.J. Henderson, I liked him when he was on the Vikings. I did. I think, I, th- I think the Jets, as long as they do the right thing, and we'll talk about this later in the show, but because you know, we, we still have the whole AFC East overview to do, but... I think it might be okay, but I doubt it. Then, you know, you, the last thing about Reggie is just the guy's desire to be good at the game of football and the fact that he loves the game. Um, there's a website out there that did a they, – they did almost like a job application. You know, it's called theplayerstribune.com, and they sent it out to all these draft hopefuls. And what it was was their quote-unquote NFL job application, Okay. And they filled these guys filled it out much like you would fill out a standard job application, and they wrote down what they liked about them. You know, almost if you, as if you were applying to Tim Hortons to serve coffee. Reggie Raglins, even though it looks like he drew it with a crayon, and I'm pretty sure that there's some fifth graders who have neater handwriting than Reggie does. It was pretty funny when you read it. His name is Reggie Ragland. His nickname is Tupac. Went to Bob Jones High School. College major was consumer science. Consumer beverages? He says, I hope to one day lead the NFL in, and then it asks to circle all that apply. Yards, touchdowns, carries, receptions, pancakes, sacks, interceptions, tackles, and money. Tackles and dollar signs are what he he circled. I'll take that. Then he breaks it down. (laughs) <laughs> and I like him because these are the things. Now they gave a couple, you know, a couple superlatives like, "Hey, what do you like this or this?" You know, do you like rye bread or whole wheat? He chose grass. Weck. He chose Kimmelweck. He chose grass over turf. He chose cake over pie. Now that's a big one. Cake is the way to go. He chose crying Jordan over Michael Jordan. <laughs> he he selected Nah when it came to eye black. He picked truck sticking over juking, and he has a decided Drake fan over Kendrick Lamar. That's cool. Drake's from Toronto. That's close to here. I'll take it. It says, if I had to describe my play, if, if you had to describe your play in two words, what would it be? His answer was smart player. I think that goes across for any sport. I mean, right? I, I, mean I, play, I play roller hockey in beer leagues, and I'm not that bad. And I always say I would rather have teammates that are mentally smart at the game than their talent. And I think that should apply to any sport. And I think the most interesting part about this entire thing. Now, mind you, these were all submitted well before the draft. The the last question was another rookie I would really love to play alongside. He picked Shaq Lawson. Wow. He picked Shaq Lawson. How awesome is that that they're actually going to get to play each, play with each other? 
That'll be great. That is fantastic. Now, just listening to him talk, you can tell he's excited about being here. Oh, man, I'm, I'm feeling good. Man, as a kid, I always wanted to play for Rex Ryan when it was with the Jets, and I'm getting my opportunity to, to do that. So I'm, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to get my all for the organization and everybody in that locker room. Man, that's, that's from his inter- post-draft interview from BuffaloBills.com. I love that players all of a sudden love coming here. I think, you know, for as much as people pan Rex Ryan, I think that that's a good I, I think that's the Rex effect. Defensive players want to love, will want to come here and know they're going to love playing for this guy. With the third pick, number 80, Adolphus Washington out of Ohio State, defensive lineman. Now, let me preface my next comment by saying that I understand why he was the pick. I get the value of it, and I can see how they might view him as the eventual heir to Kyle Williams' penetrating role on the defensive line. Considering how the rest of the draft turned out, I'm disappointed this pick wasn't used to address the safety position or the offensive line. That's all I have to say about it. Now, the Colts pretty much stole LaRaven Clark, the tackle from Texas Tech, just a few picks after Adolphus Washington went. And then in the next rounds, you know. How about Andrew Billings went in the fourth round to Cincinnati? Yeah. I mean, Andrew Billings went, and he was a he's a talented athlete. We and were then, we were talking about him being the pick yeah. on Saturday during or on Friday during our draft show, and then and then the next best safeties, Justin Simmons and KJ Dillon's both came off the board. So, I mean, I get it, I understand the logic, and they claim that they took best player available, and they say they're comfortable with it. But I think that if you could get, if you end up using that pick on a player who either becomes a starting right tackle in the third instead of a depth defensive line player or a safety who can come in and add depth at one of your team's surprisingly weakest positions, it just would have been nice. And that's one of the few knocks that I have in this whole draft. All right. That so pick right there. All right. So right now we are, we are through three or first three rounds. We had Shaq Lawson from Clemson in the first round. Mm-hmm. He was in the national title game. And then in the second round, we traded up to get Reggie Ragland, from Alabama, he was in the national championship game, and then the third round we got Adolphus Washington from Ohio State, who was in the national title game two years winners. ago. They want winners, is what they want. They want guys who have been in big games and who have won something. That that seems to be our mo as of late. We're drafting. I mean, that collegiate expl- players from winning programs. Although I will say that explains why Cardale Jones was our fourth-round pick at number 139 instead of Kevin Hogan. 11-0. He's got a ton of upside. Yeah. I mean, Kevin Cardale Jones was the pick. We were at my friend's birthday party. We were all watching it on TV, and they announced Cardale Jones, and half the room cheered, and half the room was like, God, no. But time will tell whether this pick pans out or not. Whaley did the right thing, though. He avoided any kind of controversy by coming out and flat out stating he is going to be our third quarterback. Okay, He's going to ride pine behind EJ. EJ is our backup, and we think EJ is the best backup in football. He's going to be a backup quarterback until somebody slips on a mat in training camp and then is forced to start. It's funny. I was joking around with a buddy of mine in the drive over here, and I said, how, how ridiculous and stupid would it be if Tyrod gets hurt, E.J. Manuel gets hurt, Cardale Jones steps in, leads the Bills to a Super Bowl, 
and then just sucks for the rest of his career. I'll take it. Much like the Ohio State I'll career. take it. I will take it. All I know is that for what the going rate as far as salary cap wise goes for a backup quarterback these days, this is a smart move. If you think about it, regardless of who our starter is, we're going to have to have more than one. And your third guy can always be some camp body, some undrafted free agent. He could be Jeff Tool for all I care. But at the end of the day, you have to know that you have one viable starter and one backup. And given the given the contracts that we have to give out coming up here, Gilmore, Tyrod, Sammy were a few years Sammy away. Sammy were from. a few years away, but so you don't want to bring in a you don't want to bring in a backup quarterback that's going to cost you four million or five million dollars a year. But that's the going rate for good backup quarterbacks. Three to five million dollars. So what was how about this? What was Brian Hoyer's deal to Chicago? Well, and that's exactly my point. Those types of dollars are better spent on keeping our top tier talent. Just keep drafting guys until you find a viable backup. If even if even if Ty and then if Tyrod isn't the answer, hopefully Cardell Jones gets a chance to sit long enough that he because I mean, he has starter upside if he can ever figure it out. I don't know if you got around to listening to Howard Simon this morning. Uh, one of the questions they proposed, because we have already locked up Cordy Glenn, mm-hmm. who's more important to signing to a long-term deal right now, Stephon Gilmore or Tyrod Taylor? Stephon Gilmore. Exactly what I thought. Bring back He's Gilmore. already proven. Well, not only that, but I think that there's a, there's a consensus among people that Tyrod Taylor – would you be comfortable giving him $75 million? No. No. Name name me his signature wins last year. Okay. Who did so, he beat? Who did he beat that was good? So Brock Osweiler got that to go from losing his job before the playoff run and ultimately a Super Bowl win to a Texans team that made the playoffs last year with garbage quarterback play. They paid $75 million because they want mediocre rather than terrible. That, in my mind, is a terrible decision. It's a god-awful way to run your football team. Here, the Bills are on the right track, and I wouldn't be shocked if they take another quarterback next year. If Cardale Jones, EJ Manuel is going to go in free agency, Cardale Jones will move up to number two, Tyrod will get a bridge deal at worst. At best, he plays his balls off this year and gets a long-term deal. Or we franchise him. Or we franchise him. You can bring in another guy. You can draft another quarterback and have three in the pipeline. And then if Cardale never figures it out, you have another guy who hopefully you drafted high enough that he's waiting in the wings to come in and save your franchise. In any event, I think it was a smart pick. I mean, I think pick, given the price they paid for him, I'll take it. If they had taken Cardale Jones in the second or third, I would have lost my mind. I'm okay with him being you know, the last well, what is it? The last compensatory pick of the fourth round? Correct. I'm okay with that. Then the fifth round, we I don't care what anybody thinks, okay? Screw everybody else out there who's listening right now if you have a problem with what I'm about to say. Jonathan Williams was found money, okay? That's pay dirt for me. Now, a lot of people don't know much about the guy. He hasn't played in over a year. Chris is pointing to himself because he doesn't watch college football. He spends his Saturdays attending children's birthday parties. Well, last night I was last night I was on the AFC East Bros podcast. Kyle's going to be on in a minute, and they asked me about you know about all of our picks, and I was like, well, you know, I mean, granted, I don't watch much college football. It's like, well, see, we've got Lashawn McCoy, 
Carlos Williams was fantastic when healthy last year. And even when he had his concussion issues, Mike Gillisley performed very well. So there's three running backs. And I was like, last night on AFC's Bros, I was like, I don't really know why we took the running back in the fifth round with those three ahead of him. Because Doug Whaley sticks to his board. Which is draft the best player. Draft the best player. If Jonathan Williams had played now, mind you, 2014, let's let's dial this back a year when he played because he hurt himself before the season even started last year and didn't play. The year before, he had over 1,100 yards rushing and 12 touchdowns. Now, that's in the SEC. One of the best defensive conferences in football. The best. So, the fact that he put up those numbers, the kid's got talent. And when you watch his highlights... Telling you, anybody who doesn't know, Google his name and look for Texas A&M highlights. He took that game over by himself. He's like a shiftier version of Carlos Williams. He plays with fluidity. He can break. To, he has the power to break tackles. And once he gets out in the open field, he's got an extra gear. He can turn it on and just break away. Now the guys over the the biggest thing for me is the guys over at Pat's pulpit were talking him up is this is a guy that we have to target because no one else is going to be looking at him. Well, the Bills looked at him, and you guys didn't. He is, for as much as we run the ball, we need to know that we have a consistent stream of line of running backs. LaShawn McCoy's contract is coming to an end soon. There's going to be some continuity on this offense, and if, there, if there's going to be any, it's, because, it's going to be because we have a stable of talented running backs. Carlos with another guy who's like Carlos 2.0, except faster and a little bit slipperier. You have to have that if you're good, if there's going to be any continuity to this, to this offense once LaShawn McCoy moves on. Because I don't see them resigning him. Now, for, for me, not knowing much about Jonathan Williams, the way Greg Roman has his run game, is Jonathan Williams a one-cut runner? Yes. Wonderful. It's going to be awesome. And the reason that they took him in the fifth is because when you look at, if you looked at his career trajectory and where he would have been before he missed out of the season, and it was a foot injury. It's not like it's a, a, knee. Know, a knee or anything that's going to hinder his ability to run. And plant and cut. Yeah. They said if anything, it was a broken bone in his foot. It's been fixed. You know, Julio Jones broke a bone in his foot. That didn't stop him from being the most dynamic wide receiver in football. It's and it also them. didn't stop the Browns from wasting all those picks <laughs> they got. So in any event, what it comes down to is that this guy could have been a second or third round pick if he had held his starting job into last season. The fact that we got him in the fifth with his level of talent, that's a steal for us. And so if and when LaShawn's ready to move on, there's still going to be some continuity to this offense. In the sixth round with pick number 192, we took Colby Lissenby. TJ Graham didn't pan out. Marquise Goodwin hasn't panned out. So we took another track star that's trying to play football. And I like it. You know, you got to have some kind of a player who can take the lid off a defense. Now, the thing I like about him over Marquise Goodwin, and I expect him to make the roster over Marquise this year, he's bigger. But more importantly, he tracks the ball better in the air. That's if you're a guy who really you don't know much about NFL route trees, so you're basically a fly route. Every time you're a fly route, defenses know it, you know it. It is what it is. 
Sanjay Law can try to coach you up as much as he wants, but at the end of the day, that guy's going to get out there and he's going to flat out fly. And he's going to try to run either a post or a skinny post or just a straight out go route. What's going to happen is that he can track the ball, whereas Goodwin could get open. But if you threw it at him, there's a 50% chance he can't locate it in the air to get under it in order to catch it. Listen, be shown throughout his career in college that he can he can see that. He has that type of vision, which is, I don't know, if he can figure it out at the NFL level, it could be a solid pickup for us. The only thing I'm afraid of is that at six foot but under 200 pounds, six foot one, six foot but under 200 pounds, I feel like he's going to be like James Hardy. Defenses know he's just going to try to run a straight line, so they're just going to press him at the line. And if he can't figure out how to get off of presses, I don't see him succeeding. Now let's backtrack just just for a quick second. Jonathan Williams, he went to what college? Arkansas. Arkansas, okay. Kind of mediocre head coach, Brett Bielema. Yeah. Heavy run game. He's not great, but he's not terrible. SEC defenses are... Probably the best. So I mean, he's, he's no Gus Melzahn, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that are so okay. Arkansas, decent program. Where did Listenby go to school? TCU. TCU. That's a winning program. Seems so far in the draft, the Bills just took players from winning programs mm-hmm. and players that are, are understand winning and understand leadership that it takes to win. No, and that's but that's what it's about. You got to find guys who come from winning cultures who are going to come in here and be like, listen, I'm not from Reggie Ragland steps on this football field, having only lost two games, I believe, in his entire collegiate career. Maybe three, because there was the year that we won the SEC. He was there the year that we won the SEC title and didn't make the the championship game. But he has two championship rings with Alabama and one SEC championship. So what that says to me is that this is a guy who he's not accustomed to losing. And you need to build that culture. That's a culture that you build within your football team. We are not going to accept losing. Being, We want guys who are going to be angry when they're down after a quarter. We want guys who are going to go out there and play their balls off because they're not familiar with losing. And we've been familiar with it for 16 years. Oh, it's ingrained in us now. Then with the last pick, number 218, Kevon Seymour. Now... (sighs) You can't. What are you, you going to say that's negative about a seventh round pick who's probably not going to make the roster? But I would have taken somebody that's he, probably on the same level as downtown Levi Brown. Well, what I know is that he's he's an athletic specimen. He's six foot tall, ran a four forty, you know, four three nine forty at the combine. I mean, maybe you put him at free safety and just see what he can do because he wasn't a good cornerback. That's why he was there in the seventh. Well, if you're drafted in the seventh round. Hopefully he has the frame of mind of if I want to make the Buffalo Bills roster, I got to be great on special teams. Yeah. If we could get him as a gunner with his size, that might be helpful. I don't know. But that's it. Those are our picks. Those are my thoughts. Chris really doesn't have anything to say because he doesn't watch college football. No. Well, this will be the first fall of my single life. So maybe I'll just show up at Philipski's and watch college football and drink listen saturdays the tv's on i don't i i try not to leave the house unless i have to which for food or beer yeah for food or beer saturdays and sundays i turtle up unless there's a bill's home game i'm usually trapped within the con that's why i built the bar in the basement i have to have a bar in my house because i'm tired of going to other bars and paying 150 dollars over the course of a sunday 
or a Saturday and Sunday combined, depending on how bad the Bills do. <laughs> if the Bills lost a bad one, it could be 100 bucks, But 150 bucks a weekend, or I can sit down, have the Sunday ticket, have the college football package, and just watch, just watch football for two straight days. And drink and eat and have my friends over and do whatever I want. I'll be over You're more now, than welcome. I'm, now that I'm I'm going to educate you. I'll teach you the ways. Yes. Teach, okay. teach me the ways. I will teach you the ways of college football. Teach me the ways so that when we do this and you say so-and-so in a five technique or <laughs> when you say he's going to be our mic linebacker and I'll be like, why is he holding one of our microphones? Because that's, that's all I know. I've only got one rule, Chris. You're not allowed to wear that Auburn shirt into my house. Our, well, I usually wear it to work, <laughs> so it smells of machine oil. Good. I won't wear that to your house. Good. So does the rest of the team. And then undrafted free agents. You know, let me kick this off. We signed LSU long snapper Reed Ferguson. I now, for those of you who don't know, I spent 17 years in Atlanta, 94 to 11. First thing that I got involved in is uh, youth roller hockey in Atlanta. Came friends with somebody on one of my rec teams, and our families became insanely close. Holidays. Family get-togethers over at their house. Sometimes their neighbors would come over. Their neighbors were the Fergusons, and their son Reed, who at the time was like six years old, would stand, you know, in the driveway in awe of watching myself and my brother and our our friend Brad play roller hockey in the street. And now to see that he's he went, I didn't, I didn't even know he went to LSU. I used to score keep his basketball games. When I worked parks and parks and recreation, how old, how old do you feel? I feel old, even though even though Reed's only even though Reed's only got to be like eight or nine years younger than I am. I had no idea. He, only nine, almost yeah. only a decade. I had only no, a decade. I had no idea that he even was playing football, let alone at LSU for the Mad Hatter. And his brother Blake is a uh, is a long snapper at LSU, and it's. It's it's fun to see because I got a text from my friend's mom saying that Reed had signed with the Bills, and you know I had reached out to him and I reached out to his dad on Twitter, you know. So hopefully he'll knock off Garrison Sanborn for um, to be our long snapper, and then I can just offer my place to stay because we don't know how long he'll be here. You know how many long? There's only 32 long snappers in the NFL. That's got to be one of the toughest positions to earn because there's only 32 jobs so maybe maybe i'll you know, I'll have to reach out to him and maybe we can get him on the podcast next hey so we I'd can be find the- so we can find out what uh the rookie mini camp was like <laughs> i'd be i'd be a, i'd be okay with that now aside from his friend reed over here the only undrafted free agents that interested me at all yeah was eric striker from oklahoma gary gary blew a load to that <laughs> I'm sure he was rosterbating. I'm sure he was rosterbating. The fact is, is that he was highly now. Gary from AFC's Pros Podcast is a huge Oklahoma fan, so of course he would love Eric Stryker. He was super productive in the college game, but at the same time, he's very much undersized for the NFL game, which is why he didn't get drafted. He was super productive, but what does that translate to the NFL game? Because if you're not that fast and you're not that big and you're not that strong. Where does it leave you in comparison to all of these other players? Because there's a lot of college football players who turn into just another guy at the NFL level. Tim Tebow's one of them. 
or you're, and defensive players, it happens even more often. Or if you're speaking of undrafted people, Gary mentioned this last night on his podcast was um, Harrison from Pittsburgh. Yep, undrafted Kent State, small small stature, mm-hmm. came into. I think he was on somebody's practice squad first, and then Pittsburgh signed him, and the rest was history. And he's still playing. I think he's going to play this year. My only disappointment, and I mean, I don't know if you can be disappointed about undrafted free agents. I really would have liked to have seen the Bills take a flyer on kicker Jaden Obercrom from TCU. Now, I know, Chris, you have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. But the guy was like watching Justin Tucker kick from the NFL. Now, we did get Marshall Morgan, and he was pretty solid for Georgia over his career. The guy could hit from 55. He kicked in a lot of clutch situations and did fairly well for himself over the years. And he had a couple years of starting experience. I think the kicking thing would be something to watch because if there's anywhere we could make up cap room, that would be it considering how poorly Darren Carpenter did last year. Yeah, he did pretty poor on the extra points. So that'll be something to keep an eye on going into next season. All right, so we've discussed the Bills draft. What about the rest of the AFC East? Now, there's a lot to go over here, and there's nobody more qualified to go over that with us here at the Rockpile Report. Than me. <laughs> Chris, Chris, who knows absolutely nothing about college football. No, we're talking about Kyle from the AFC's Pros Podcast. Kyle Smith. No, he's not going to be serviceable. He sucks. AFC East Bros Podcast. He's just like a big doofus. (laughs) Kyle, how are you feeling tonight? Pretty damn good. How about yourself, guys? Not too bad. I've had a couple Chardonnays. How about yourself? What are you doing on this fine evening? On this fine evening, got home a little bit early. From the school day, as you know, I'm a teacher mm-hmm. in Elizabeth High School, teaching the inner city kids. Uh, no raccoon problems today. The <laughs> raccoon was removed yesterday. You know, I woke, up, I woke up yesterday, walked out of my house at 6.45 in the morning to a raccoon right outside my neighbor's door. Now let me Just, ask you this. Did your brother Gary come over and challenge it to a UFC fight, put it in a chokehold and kill it? You know, I thought about calling him over, but, you know, it just seemed like there would have been a lot of commotion. And, you know, we probably would have gotten, you know, fined for animal cruelty or something <laughs> like that. Gary likes to take things to the extreme, if you haven't already noticed. He sounds like my kind of guy. I like that. He is. You know, and actually, when Chris called into our podcast last night, I asked him, Drew, if you had watched Gary's fight yet. And he said, oh, yeah, Drew watched it. And he said, looked like Drew wanted to fight Gary after he saw oh. that. So. You know Seems like you're is. quite the extreme guy as well. I am, but you know what it is? I have just ODD. A long, I have a long ODD. Just a long history of biting off more than I can chew. It happens all the time. <laughs> I've made it to 31, though. I'm still here. Gary. So. Gary's going to find that out on October 16th when he comes and tailgates oh, with us. Oh man. So, what did you think about the draft? I mean, what about the drama? You know, how perfect is it that 10 minutes before the draft kicks off, the the perspe- you know the consensus number three pick because of the two trades, suddenly there's a video of him smoking a bong on the internet, and he just goes into automatic free fall. 
Yeah, and not just any bong, but a, a gas mask. And <laughs> you being the extreme guy that you are, I don't know that you've ever done something like that. I plead the um, fifth in case any of my <laughs> former or future employers are listening. <laughs> you know, but forget even the third pick. For a while, he was just – you look at all the mock drafts going back a couple months ago, he was locked into that one spot. It's a no-brainer for the Tennessee mm-hmm. Titans to take him. He's that good, people are saying. And if you compare him, you stack him up to all the other left tackles that came out in recent years, many people would say he would be the top guy. And this guy, because of this video that's released 10 minutes or whatever it was before the draft, makes him slide all the way down to pick 13 with the Miami Dolphins. And the crazy thing is, is the Baltimore Ravens, they went up and said that they would have taken him at pick six, but because they didn't have enough time to process and, and really look into this whole incident, they passed up on him for Ronnie Stanley. And, you know, the rest is history. Tunsil falls to our division rival, the Miami Dolphins. Now, I, I'll say this. I love how many storylines came out of this draft. I mean, if you want to go from, you know, Christian Hackenberg being – you know, picked much higher than he was supposed to be to the fact that Ronnie Stanley was picked above Tunsil. That there's, there's things here, Miles Jack, Jalen Smith, them falling out of the first round, Jalen Smith going earlier than anyone ever gave him credit for Miles Jack falling all the way to the second round. Which one of these guys is going to be better? You know, given that they were the two injured linebackers there's just a ton of storylines that came out of this draft. I'll say it was easily one of the most entertaining drafts in recent history. Completely agree. I mean, yeah, Jalen Smith, you're talking about consensus top 10 picks before, you know, he injures his knee in the bowl game. And then, you know, the medical rechecks, apparently they didn't go well. And that was like, what, April 15th or whatever mm-hmm. it was, not that long ago. And they're saying basically he's going to have to take a full red shirt year because he's got to have these nerves in his knee regenerate. And they don't know that that's even going to be possible. However, you know, he goes in the second round. Jerry Jones, you know, he's he's a man that likes to make the big splash. That's for sure. So it was certainly very fascinating. Um, Even more fascinating this year, we did a live show. I got to listen to your guys' uh, analysis as the picks as you watch them come in. Mm-hmm. I got to hear Drew do a roll tide, baby. <laughs> they selected Reggie Ragland. So um, that made it even more exciting for me. What was even more exciting was Drew's uh, body emotion when they selected Ragland because we were streaming the uh, draft off of my computer. So the TV that we had on behind me was ahead of the computer. So Drew had already seen that Ragland was the pick before – I had actually turned up the channel for uh, the Ragland pick, and he was just like he was in his chair trying to be excited, but not be so excited where he would make noise into his microphone. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. You should win an Oscar for that, man. <laughs> it was, I must say, Chris, that was a pretty awesome setup that you guys had. Oh, thank you. The Chris, he engineers these things up. I don't know how he does it, but that's why he's the producer. So. Getting into each team that kind of you know went from the AFC East that went through their draft, you know, I kind of gave I kind of went through and gave each of them my own grades. But I'm curious to see what you thought, you know, because I know that you're you and your brother get big into this. So I started with the Buffalo Bills. You know, we landed you know we landed a pair of first round talents at two positions of need. So that should constitute a home run. But I think the fact that we paid no attention to the offensive line could come back and haunt us at some point because there was definitely chances for it. 
And like I, I said earlier in the podcast, the fact that we took Adolphus Washington when guys like Raven Clark were still on the board. Now, yes, he comes from that Texas Tech air raid offense. I get it. He maybe isn't, you know, he's, he's more of a project. But still, to take a flyer on a project at right tackle who might become your guy for the next five years, whereas you took a guy who was probably like seventh best at his position, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, I knew that you weren't such a big fan of the pick. Uh, you know, you're like, why didn't we take Billings, right? You know, and mm-hmm. I, I know the knock on him, apparently why he slid all the way to the fourth round was teams just really aren't valuing a true nose tackle all that much anymore. And that's why the Jets, they had the best one in the league in Damon Harrison, and they let him walk to the arch-rival Giants, walk right next door because they weren't going to pay that astronomical salary. But most teams aren't valuing these guys all that high. And, you know, Adolphus Washington, I mean, is he all that good of a player? I'm not entirely sure. You know, he, he, he can give you a little bit of a pass rush. He can kind of shoot the gap. But he's a guy that he seems to be ending up on the ground quite a bit from what I've seen. And, I mean, if I'm a Bills fan, this is one of the picks that I'm not entirely thrilled with. And, no. like I said, I know you weren't. Gary's a little bit higher on it as well. And, obviously, Doug Whaley, he talked it up saying mm-hmm. that, you know, he, this guy, he probably could have been a second-round pick. I mean, Doug Whaley really kind of a, patted himself on the back with all these picks. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess to hear what you're saying, you know, I guess you, when you really look at the draft, when you start to go – and kind of reach for needs is in the later round. So the third round, I don't know that you could really say that. Maybe he was the purely the top guy on their board. I don't know that. But, you know, the Bills had said, and we were really thinking, Gary was saying, Laquan Treble, he might be the pick at 19. The Bills have said it numerous times. They want to get a playmaker outside of Sammy Watkins, a bigger body guy. And this is one of the things. The, the Bills did draft a receiver in Colby Listenby, but he's another smaller type of guy. You know, you got Robert Woods. You got, shoot, what the heck's the kid's name from Texas. You got all these receivers. Even Sammy, he's not a big dude. Oh, Marquis Goodwin. receiver. Yeah. But where's the big body guy? Yeah, we and, don't have one. The, but what, well, so what I was going to say is that's what they did is they went out in free agency this year. And the one thing that tipped me off to the fact that we weren't going to be taking a wide receiver in this draft, they went out in the offseason and brought in literally every – Number two slash number three wide receiver that was walking around on the street without a job. Jared Boykin. What? Jared Boykin. Greg Greg Salas. Greg Salas. Leonard Hankerson. They brought in all these guys. Those guys are not going to play special teams. Okay, They're here. They're bringing them in because they're going to make them all fight for that number two job. And so when people were talking about them possibly drafting Laquan Treadwell, I just kept saying there's no way it can happen because they've already got the learning curve for wide receivers in the NFL is big. You know, Demarius Thomas is a perfect example. He wasn't that good his first season. He, he just wasn't. And I remember because I took him late in a fantasy football draft thinking, oh, this could be money if he turns into something. And he just didn't do anything. It takes receivers a year or two to really get acclimated to the press defense and how good corners are in the NFL versus how good they are in college. So... I just see them, you know, if you're in win-now mode, you can't give a wide a number one pick that year to learn it. You have to win now. So they went out and got everyone who already had experience, and that's why I wasn't shocked that Laquan wasn't the pick. Yeah, so, I mean, going back to that third-round pick, I mean, Washington, was he the best guy, was he not? I'm not entirely sure. I know that you said you wanted Braxton Miller at that point. I don't know that he's really the guy either because I don't know that he really fits the mold of what the Bills don't have. Again, he's not a 
big receiver. But um, I think overall the Bills had the best draft in the AFC East, and I went out and said that last night. Um, and I don't even really think it was particularly close either. I think they had the best draft, and I feel very safe in saying that. Really? See, now me personally, I gave the Bills a B for this draft. That was my draft wow. grade. With the best pick being Reggie Ragland, just because of the sheer value. You got a guy who was a consensus number one pick in the second round. We would have taken him at 19. Yeah, like there was a lot of talk, and I would have been comfortable taking him at 19 if that was the pick. So the fact that we got both him and Shaq Lawson, okay, fantastic. But the worst pick was Adolphus Washington in my mind. Now, it's funny you mentioned you know, the best draft because, in my opinion, the Miami Dolphins had the best draft. Okay? It's not every day that you can pick it out, you know, pick outside of the top ten and land a franchise left tackle. Yeah, I agree. And, and for me, the one thing that really elevates the Dolphins draft grade is the fact that they got Tunsil. But outside of that, I wasn't all that impressed. And I, let me go back to a point that you just made. You were talking about Reggie Ragland being a consensus number one pick. And I do like the Ragland pick for where the Bills got him. I really do. You go up, you get a guy, and listen, I'll toss two fourth-rounders if I think this guy is going to be a perennial starter, someone who's really going to fit my defense. I mean, if Rex is going to say, like, you know, he went out and said, I'm just going to do my thing. I'm not going to try to be two different people. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So you need that guy to kind of run your defense. And Reggie Ragland will be very good at that. But to say that he's a consensus first-rounder, I don't know about that. I saw a lot of mocks starting to say he could slide into the second round. He certainly did that. All 32 teams passed up on him for a reason. And I guess part of the reason why, I don't think it's the whole medical concern that came out. I think it is the fact that, you know, is he a three-down linebacker in well, today's NFL? So and I'm not entirely sure about that. My argument to that point, Chris and I were talking earlier, and one of the things I said is that Reuben Foster is a linebacker for Alabama. He's a much more fluid, I would say he's a more fluid athlete. Okay? He's more of a Nigel Bradham than Reggie Rackland is. So when Alabama went into a dime package, obvious passing situations, you, you roll out a dime, Reggie Ragland was their middle linebacker. Now, if you're talking about a guy who you think can't cover in space and just can't be good at defending the pass, you don't put Ragland out there. You would put Reuben Foster out there, and you wouldn't skip a beat in doing so because he's a very talented linebacker. I expect him to be a top 60 pick in the NFL next year. But all things even, he was not a liability in that role in college. So I don't know why people say that he can't play the pass. You know, um, I mean, I wasn't overly impressed from what I saw, but time will tell for sure. Mm-hmm. So, in any in any event, we're talking about the Miami Dolphins draft. Now, they got Laramie Tunsil. Then, you know, they had gone on saying about how they were trying to upgrade talented running back. Upgrade talented running back. They brought in a host of free agent visits. Kenyon Drake, he's not the best running back in the world, but he's shifty. He's a shifty athlete who just, he's slippery almost. He finds a way to get into creases and get into spaces. He catches extremely well out of the backfield. That is an aspect. Jay, you know, that Jay Ajay, he's a good, straightforward north and south running back. He can be your LeGarrette Blunt. Kenyon Drake can be your all purpose back. You know, he's your slasher. He's the guy who's going to get out in space and make a play with the ball in his hands. That and the fact that they also added a cornerback who has. 
possible starter upside if you can coach him up. He's got the size. He's got the you know all of the athletic traits that might lend it to being you know him being a successful player in the NFL. They all they, they managed to hit most of their team's major needs. Those are the reasons I was writing them off as being contenders for the AFCs this year. Their offensive line was weak. They're, what do they have? One running back, and he's not proven. I mean, they added another running back, but they put more numbers at that position. And cornerback, there was well, they still needed a legitimate number one. But if this kid can come in and do what he, you know, what they expect him to be able to be coached into doing, they might have had the most successful draft. Okay, the only negative I have at all on them is that they didn't address their linebacker depth at all. I'm I'm totally fine with that. I mean, last year they had Kelvin Shepard. And Jelani Jenkins starting games for them at linebacker. Yeah, and you know what? And Jelani Jenkins is probably their best guy, but for some reason the coaching staff doesn't like him all that much, but he's certainly a lot better than Shepard. But, yeah, for me it's really day two with Miami that I'm not all that impressed. And it is Xavier Howard and Kenyon Drake. When you look at, you know, Paul Perkins went in the fifth round. To me he's a much better back than Kenyon Drake. Um, even someone like Kenneth Dixon, I was really high on him. Now, I guess the one knock on Kenneth Dixon, he's got a lot of tread on his tires, 800-plus carries in his collegiate career. But to me, a much better well-rounded back than Kenyon Drake. And, yeah, Kenyon Drake, he can he can catch out of the backfield. But, you know, Jay is a good receiving back as well. Yes, he does have power. But Jay Jai, like, if he didn't have the knee concerns last year, he probably would have been a second-round pick. He's that talented. Mm-hmm. But he's got his fair share of injury concerns. He was even hurt last year for – I think it was a foot or an ankle issue. So there is cause for concern there. But I don't like the value of Kenyon Drake in the third round. And I definitely didn't like trading up to get Xavier Howard in the second round. Drew, I know you said this is a pretty good pick. They tossed a fourth rounder to go up and get Howard. When In my mind, if they had just sat back, you're talking there's much better players on the board. Um, particularly, if you want to stay with corner, Mackenzie Alexander. See, I don't like Mackenzie Alexander's size, and people say that that shouldn't matter, but in today's NFL, you're telling me Mackenzie Alexander can roll out there and cover Sammy Watkins? No, not a, not a shot. He's too small. Watkins is small, but his catching radius is huge. So you could throw jump balls to Sammy, and Mackenzie Alexander, and it, when you play in a division that has a dynamic wide receiver on in Sammy Watkins, that has a guy like Brandon Marshall, on another team, who clearly, again, huge big catch radius. The guy's a veteran. He knows how to get things done, and he's a big guy. And then you've got Tom Brady with Rob Gronkowski and a whole slew of no-name receivers that he's going to make look like all-stars. Mackenzie Alexander's just not going to cut it. I mean, I guess here's my thing. We are noticing that there is a growing trend in the NFL of moving to bigger cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. However, Pete Carroll and his Seattle Seahawks, they're most known for having big cornerbacks. And Pete Carroll, he went out and said in a press conference, I hope that the league tries to copy us more often and try to find big corners. And the reality is why he said that is because you can't find too many of them. The reality is is there's not too many guys who have fluid hips that can turn like that and still play well and have good ball skills. You're not, you're mm-hmm. not going to get Richard Sherman's and Patrick Peterson's all that often. No. So Xavier um, Howard, he's kind of like feast or famine, and I don't want that in a cornerback. You know, he can make very nice plays at a given time, but then he can also get torched for a deep touchdown. And to me, cornerback, when you're getting, you know, beaten for big touchdowns like that, those are game changers. So I didn't like the value there. However, you can say that he's a better scheme fit uh, than Mackenzie Alexander. He's a cover two corner, and that's what Miami's going to run. Mm -hmm. However, 
trading up to get a cover two corner, a cover two corner, are they really all that valuable? Look at the cornerbacks that are getting, you know, the big time money. It's usually the guys that are excel more in man coverage. So I didn't like the value there. See, this is why I love talking about this stuff with you because I'm acknowledging the fact that you maybe made my grade on them was a B plus, <laughs> but you're making me rethink this. I had their best pick is Laramie Tunsil. Their worst pick is Brandon Doty. I figured that was a throwaway. You basically just took that pick and you crumpled it up and you threw it in the garbage. You yeah, just, especially when they're paying big time money for a backup in uh, Matt Moore. Yeah. So maybe that's what it was. Maybe they hope he can become the next Matt Moore. I don't know. That brings us to the New England Patriots. Now today I spent a considerable portion of my day on Pat'sPulpit.com. Just going back and forth with New England Patriots fans, having some, you know, some, generating some discourse about their draft because it's Did the you first. Tweet then a link to our podcast. No, <laughs> well, it's in my profile thing. It pops up on my comments and stuff. But at the end of the day, usually I'm used to seeing the New England Patriots. Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. The New England Patriots can come out and in round one draft Gary, and in round two take you trade back. And take you and me. And somehow ESPN would find a way to make it sound like it was a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and how could you not? After all, they're the Patriots and they're managed to win 10-plus games every year. Now it's 12-plus games every year yeah. and seem to make it in the playoffs every year. And, you know, they just do things so much differently than everyone. And here's my big qualm with the Patriots. You look at what Denver did this past year. They went out in recent what they've been doing in recent years, for that matter. They went out and got a lot of big time free agents, guys that they're building for the immediate future. Mm-hmm. And why did they do that? They know that Peyton Manning's on his last legs. They don't got too many more years with him. Let's go out and let's try to win a Super Bowl because at the end of the day, people really don't care too much who was the Super Bowl loser. I mean, you guys know this better than anyone. Four straight Super Bowls, but the Bills are, you know, for that. Most people see it more as like a laughing stock, not as an accomplishment. Now, I know the Four Falls of Buffalo film that recently came out kind of depicted those teams as a huge accomplishment. But many people still don't think that way. So, you know, runner up in the NFL often doesn't get enough credit as it should. You know, it's all about winning championships. So if you're the New England Patriots, let's be realistic. How many more years does Tom Brady have? So why would you not – you know, try to go into this win now type of approach. And even, just forget Tom Brady, too. Bill Belichick, he's 64, 65 years old. You know, how many more years does he want to coach? I get it. He loves the game. Why not try to move some of these assets? You have 10 plus picks in the draft. Move some of these assets. You can move up and get a higher quality player. And especially in a year where you don't have a first round pick, they sat tight, waited till 60 made their pick, they have the very next pick at 61, and what do they do? They decide to trade back and acquire even more assets, and then they drafted a guy that Patriots fans were just killing the Patriots for doing this, Joe Tooney, and I know you killed them too, live on the air, Drew. (laughs) That's because of the amount of alcohol that Drew had at that point. (laughs) You literally called him a retard. (laughs) I said he looks like he has Down syndrome. There's a difference. I didn't use the R word, Chris. I'm a little more sensitive than that. I don't, you know, oh, no, I don't know that you are more sensitive than that. I was, telling, I was telling Chris last night, you know, you guys were talking about Rob Ryan and Dennis Thurman and how 
Dennis Thurman is Rob Ryan's Virgil. He's he's Virgil. Virgil. He has to clean his office. He sleeps in his office, and they they made Dennis Thurman come in. He has to change the sheets on the couch that Ryan that Rob sleeps on, and he has to clean up all of his empty beer cans. Now, Kyle, it, it, Kyle, the analogy wasn't bad enough. It, you know, it actually does fit the skin color narrative. So <laughs> now, Kyle, Kyle, let me let me point this out. Now that we we the Bills have spent three. Their first three picks were on the defense. Now, since the draft had ended, and in the coming weeks during minicamp and training camp, let me know if you hear any of our first three picks mentioned with how they fit to Dennis Thurman's defense. You will only hear them spoken of in how they fit in Rex and Rob's defense. We're never going to hear the name Dennis Thurman this season. I can guarantee it. It's because yeah, I think they realize that firing your defensive coordinator after a year like that makes it seem like you're blaming him. But they do blame him. They just don't want to come out and say it. So they just unceremoniously demoted him. And then they're just going to keep him around to live in shame. Live in shame, but at the end of the day, he's still collecting a pretty nice Yeah, paycheck, he's still so. got a solid paycheck. So back to the Patriots draft, though. I feel like they hit on a few picks, but most of it just made me scratch my head and wonder what the hell they were doing. I mean, Cyrus Jones. Cyrus Jones is a good player. I've seen enough of him as an Alabama guy to know that he's he plays bigger than he is. He's opportunistic. And if you coach him up, and I mean, he's a, he's a very fluid athlete. You see his punt returns for touchdowns. I mean, the guy, he sees the field amazingly well. Yeah, and this is a typical Bill Belichick pick right here because Cyrus Jones, he's not just giving you defense. He's also giving you special teams. Mm -hmm. And I was saying this last night, what team in the NFL more so than the New England Patriots values special teams? I mean, we all heard this. We played football in high school. Mm -hmm. There's three phases of the the game, offense, defense, and special teams. But, you know, we all know in the back of our head it's all right. It's mostly offense and defense. But the Patriots genuinely value special teams. And Cyrus Jones, being that he does have this really good punt return ability, um, they value him here. You know, let's mm-hmm. let's get Julian Edelman and Danny Amendola <clears throat> off of returning punts. You know, Julian Edelman's had injuries over. Well, that's the years. thing. Keep them both healthy. Get yeah. your horses healthy and bring in another guy who can can field punts, but at the same time has that game breaking ability and can also play cornerback very well. Yeah, and he's got ball skills too. It's exactly. another thing that Bill Belichick values. You know, one guy that I'm not really high on, Logan Ryan, he's a Rutgers guy, you know, went to a school at Rutgers, which is a school right next to us. You know, one thing you can say about him, if you throw the ball in his area, he will pick it off. He has mm-hmm. good hands. Deron Harmon, another Rutgers guy, he, he manages to get interceptions as well. Bill Belichick values that. And it's mm-hmm. no wonder why the New England Patriots, they're always at the top of the league in terms of interceptions every year. Mm-hmm. So he is a smaller corner. That's one of the knocks on him. Mm-hmm. But again, um, Bill Belichick, he thrives with smaller corners. Malcolm Butler is a small corner. Mm-hmm. You know, he had a pretty darn good season la- last year. Oh, yeah. Um, I expected those guys. <laughs> I made a joke to one of my friends that he literally pulled up the email that I sent it to him in and forwarded it back to me at the end of the season. He's a Patriots fan. And he, I, I asked him, I was like, I drew, this, I drew a diagram, and I called it the circle defense because clearly the Patriots didn't plan on having any corners. And it was just a field with linebackers all over the place. I'm like, apparently that's what they're going for because they have no one at cornerback. And then they made it to the AFC championship game. So (laughs) they do value their linebackers, that's for sure. I mean, Ian Rappaport, you know, he tweeted out saying that if somehow Jalen Smith 
you know, fell down to the Patriots, they were going to take him with their 60th mm-hmm. selection. What I think one of the things that happened to the Patriots this year is that they expected people to fall into their laps and it didn't happen. I think that they thought guys would continue falling like Jalen Smith and guys like that because this draft to me smacks. This is one thing me and the guys over at Pat's Pulpit were talking about. Smacks of a team that's playing for 2017. Which is just crazy, man, because Brady was pretty good last year. And he'll probably be pretty decent in 2017. But here's the but conspiracy theory. But what if he takes this pretty significant dip from 2016 well, to 2017? Well, here's the conspiracy theory. And this isn't from me. This is from Pat's fans. What if the idea is to, okay, we don't have a first-round pick this year. So... And I liked it, and in my head I think of, because just because Bill Belichick, I think of them as the Empire in Star Wars. You know, you blew up the Death Star, you think everything's great, you're like, oh, hey, they're going away forever. Wrong. May the fourth be with you. They go back, and they collect themselves, and they quietly scheme something else, even more evil than what you thought you had just gotten over. They just quietly come up with something else bigger and worse than that. One of the going conspiracy theories among Patriots fans is that they drafted for 2017 this year with the intent to be like a seven or six win team this year, knowing full well that they can draft Tom Brady's replacement, trade Tom Brady for more picks, and then just continue to dominate the division. Well, what Kyle? What quarterbacks are coming out next year that are any good? Deshaun Watson. Watson's the only one that I really hear about. The Clemson kid. Deshaun Watson played pretty well in the bowl game against you guys. He is fantastic. That kid. You know what it is though? It's the same. He does the same things that fit the Patriots' scheme. His deep ball, eh, it's it's hit or miss. But his intermediate accuracy is unbelievable. And if, if you can coach that and just teach the kid how to run a huddle and run from a pro-style offense, that's... I mean, people talk about quarterbacks needing to make their reads. Tom Brady throws the ball in under three seconds. He doesn't need to make reads. He just trusts that his guys are going to get open. So if you can coach a young kid up like that to, to build into that system, he can, it can be just disaster for the rest of the AFC East. I mean, it's crazy to think, man, like... What would Tom Brady be without Bill Belichick and vice versa? Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. So, I mean, Bill Belichick was bad before he had Tom Brady, and Tom Brady was a six-round pick for a reason. So, I mean, we've seen other great quarterbacks go on and play with other teams. You know, Joe Montana, he went on to play for my father's Kansas City Chiefs, right, after winning, what was it, three or four Super Bowls with the 49ers, four of them. So, I mean, we've seen it, but... Tom Brady's also been this very loyal guy that's taken less money year in, year out to stay with the New England Patriots. So. In, but in true Patriots fashion, wouldn't it be fitting to see them? Tra- he takes a pay cut and they trade him. And I mean, the Patriots do stuff like that. You know, guys who are good soldiers, they go on and, and they trade them for assets and they stay good. Yep. So it's interesting. Let's talk a little bit more about some of these other picks. So they take Jacoby Brissett out of North Carolina. That's the one that pick. blew everyone's mind. OK, that is the pick that blew everyone's mind was Jacoby Brissett. And for me, when I saw that, I think like I was drunk by that point. I'll admit it. I was in the bag. But good Lord. Because I thought I was reading the TV wrong. And then I saw them as highlights, and I'm like, I've watched these highlights before. What the hell did they just do? 
And so I started trying to rationalize it. Did they write the wrong name down on the card? Did they... Like, Four-game suspension. What I think it comes down to is they just think that he... I mean, they saw something we, you and I don't. I don't like him as a prospect. I, th- I think that he was a fourth to fifth round pick. Yeah, I mean, he's got pretty decent size, and you know, I guess he can make some big time throws, but doesn't seem to really fit the Patriots mold in terms of a skill set. Like, you know, we were talking about Deshaun Watson dominating in the middle and intermediate. I don't see that with Jacoby Brissett, to be honest. And I don't know. I mean, I was saying this last night. This kind of seems to me like a little bit like Tom Brady 12 insurance because you know that you're not going to have him for the first four games. Mm-hmm. This suspension is not getting repealed. He will serve these first four games. Patriots have been doing everything to, you know, that, that shows that they're, they have no confidence that it's going to get appealed. It's, For example, they reduced his base salary mm-hmm. uh, to $1 million, so meaning that those four game checks that he's going to miss out on, well, he's going to get less money taken away from those checks mm-hmm. now. I tried to explain it to my girlfriend, and she gets it, I think, but Again, I'm just she's. I feel bad for my girlfriend because she's the one who, when I get fired up on a sports tangent, she's the only one in the house with me. She just catches the brunt of it. So I was reading all these articles about Tom Brady's options, and just reading all the some some of the Patriots fans are just ridiculous. You know, if you read any of their forums, you go over there and you see what they have to say about it, or listen to their radio stations, W E E I. It's incredible how they have this. Mentality of well, they should, it's it's like they're not wrapping their head around the the, the law and the, the reasons like what actually went on during the case. The fact is, is one judge overturned Brady's suspension on the merit that it wasn't the rule of shop, quote unquote, and that Goodell used, you know, kind of seemed heavy handed when he made that penalty, so he overturned it. But upon appeal. The judges who voted in favor of the NFL came out and flat out said, we understand that this seems heavy handed. But we also think it seems unorthodox that anybody, any any organization, whether it's a union, you know, whether it's the you know the, the Ironworkers Union or the football players union, would ever agree to allow one person to be the ultimate arbitrator and decider of penalties. But that's what they agreed to. It's yep. in this CBA. So, unfortunately, even though his punishment seems crazy and outlandish, he has the authority to make that call. He does. And to kind of, you know, this is another point that I brought up on our show last night. There's a very famous uh, attorney who blogs for the Houston Texans, writes for the Houston Texans, but she's also an attorney. And she's kind of been defending the Patriots and saying that Mm -hmm. the NFL was too harsh and all this kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. But she was saying, you know, one of the big reasons why you would wonder, why why is the league being so harsh with Tom Brady? You know, why are they not reducing the suspension? Four games, really, for that million-dollar fine, first-round draft pick, fourth-round draft pick? I mean, that seems quite harsh. But why Tom Brady? Why are you going to make your, your, your golden boy? He's been to six Super Bowls, won four of them, wins mm-hmm. in the playoffs every year. He's got the most playoff victories. Why would you do this to him, drag him through the mud like that? And she basically said the reason why the NFL is doing this is they're going to be harsh because when the next CBA comes around and the next negotiation comes around – the players are going to say, you know what? We want a better disciplinary process. We don't want this commissioner with an iron fist that can give whatever punishment that he wants. And they're going to and, use that as leverage. 
Yeah, so exactly. So they got a compromise. And what are, what are they going to give up? They're going to give more money back to the owners in return for a better disciplinary process. Yep. I mean, the, the last CBA, the Players Association got worked. They did. When you really look at what the CBA allows Roger Goodell to do, in retrospect, they got worked. Yeah. But as far as the New England Patriots draft goes, I gave them a C. I so. Unfortunately, after seeing it all unfold, their best pick, it was a toss-up, but I'm calling it Cyrus Jones. And I think that their worst pick was Jacoby Brissett. I just don't see how that bears any kind of fruit for their organization. Yeah, um, I think I would agree with both. I mean, Jacoby Brissett, you're going to have him for, what, four years? I think Tom Brady's going to probably play for another four years, and maybe he's going to be the eventual backup to Jimmy Garoppolo if you trade him off for uh, a second-round th- pick or whatever well, it is. Well, the common consensus pick. over at Pitt's pulpit is that these guys are going to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. They're saying, yeah. oh, well, he'll be, he'll, we can get a first-round pick for him. They're delusional. No one's going to give you a first-round pick for a backup who's never played. I mean, if he plays really well over these first four games, it is possible, but you don't know that for sure. And again, you're in a team that's in win-now mode more so than any other team in the league. Why not invest that third-round pick in a guy who's actually going to see the field and can contribute? Oh, absolutely. So then that brings us to your guys, the New York Jets. Now, Now let me jump in here, uh, Kyle. Uh, we just want to get your opinion on Drew's take on <laughs> your first round selection of Duran Lee. I mean, now I, I yeah I have to play it, and it's uh, let's get it out there that this is after at least a twelve pack for uh, Drew Gear. The guy is Keith Ellison two He can suck my ass. <laughs> You know, we were talking about this uh, when you came on our show, when you called in, Drew, mm-hmm. and you had said Keith Ellison, or was it on Twitter? I don't even know. I think you spoke about it on the air, though. <laughs> and quite honestly, I didn't watch the Bills all that closely back when Keith Ellison used to play. But I looked up the measurables, and Keith Ellison didn't really test all that well. He ran a four seven six, which for a linebacker, you know, that's actually slower than Reggie Raglan, mm-hmm. whereas Darren Lee... Four four seven. It's the fastest forty for a linebacker since two thousand seven. So I don't know how much that comparison holds weight. I think it. I think my basis of him being Keith Ellison two I watched a million games where here's literally a, literally million, a million games. games. That's that's hyperbole, but I've watched. More than enough football games where Keith Ellison would go out there and people liked him in a 4-3 because they're like, well, he's he's a fast linebacker who can get to the ball carrier quickly. He can get to the ball carrier quickly, except he can't tackle any of them. He was a poor tackler. He was throughout his entire career. And because he was so small, he struggled to bring down bigger ball carriers, whether they were a wide receiver or a running back. That's what I feel... Darren Lee's career trajectory might turn into if he can't figure out how to be more of a almost hybrid safety, you know, Dion Buchanan type player. And I think that's what the Jets have drafted him for. You know, Drew, your concerns, I got to be honest, I have a lot of the same concerns. And I think he could be a hit or he could be a miss. I could see this pick going either way. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, he is physical. He, he's not afraid of contact. You'll see him make some some big time hits. You'll see him blow up not really linemen as blockers, but you know, whether it be a, a running back, he can blow them up at certain times. You know, even if the lineman, you know, can you know, blows him back on a particular play, he's not going to give up. He'll still no. chase the guy down. His second effort is very good. I'll give him that. But, you know, he's not overly physical. He is kind of small. But I, you said it best, <clears throat> Dion Buchanan. You know, Mike McCagnum was on the radio. He did the radio tour yesterday. He was on like four different stations. Mm-hmm. And he explicitly said himself, Todd Bowles sees Darren Lee in a Dion Buchanan type of role. And Todd Bowles coached Dion Buchanan his rookie year when they were trying to find a role for him in the NFL. So you're going to kind of see him moving up, um, you know, playing a little you know, safety, inside linebacker, outside. He's kind of going to be a jack of all trades but master of none. And you wonder, in the NFL, do you want a guy who's – a master of none and can kind of do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I mean, again, I have mixed feelings about it. You know, they're saying three down linebacker. You know, he's not going to come off the field. But as you said before, he's not the best in coverage either. Nope. And is that a, is that a thing of coaching? You know, I get it. Speed doesn't necessarily translate into you all of a sudden being a good coverage guy. You've got to understand defense. I mean, you've got that, to know where you are on the field. And at if that was time, the case, then our seventh round pick. He seems like he's confused. If that was the case, then our seventh-round pick, Kevon uh, – Jesus, what the hell was his name? Kevon Seymour, he's six foot tall and he runs a 4-3-9-40. If, that was, if speed made an athlete, that guy would be the best cornerback in football. But that's not the case. You have to have the awareness. And some players just don't have it. And I think that's what's hurt – you know, Darren Lee throughout his career is the fact that in pass coverage, not only that, but I feel like, and I, I do think that some of that was attributed to the fact that at Ohio State, he was sometimes asked to shadow slot wide receivers. They'd go base, and if the other team came out with a slot receiver, they'd move him over to cover that guy. Well, that's not a good fit. You know, you don't want a linebacker covering a slot wide receiver. So I just feel like for as athletic as he is, He's got a lot to learn about football, and his ceiling might be kind of limited because of that. You know, his floor, In order for him to be successful at the next level, I truly believe that he needs some very, very good coaching. Mm-hmm. So the jury's out on him. You, know, you go back and listen to our live show when they made the pick. You know, I went back and forth. I, I, I didn't like Darren Lee at first, or I wasn't very huge on him once I saw initial mock drafts picking him to the Jets. Then I watched him a little bit more. Some other guys who I respect started to talk him up. I started to like him a little bit more. I watched that Alabama game. Then I started to watch him against Michigan State this past year. And I'm like, you know, they're a very physical mm-hmm. line. Team that likes to run the ball a lot. Jack Conklin gets his hands on him, and he it's like swallowed you know, up he doesn't know what game. to do. He gets, And that's the knock on him is that in the running game, that's why I didn't want the Bills to draft him. Because if he's inside on a running play and he has to try to come downhill – is soon if he he basically has to come through untouched and get to the ball carrier, otherwise he just gets mowed down. I've seen it happen. That's in all honesty, I think that Josh Perry, you know, did what he could for Ohio State's defense in that Michigan State game. But in reality, I almost feel like in on a lot of plays they targeted Lee and whatever side Josh Perry wasn't on, and they just ran at it because they knew it was raining. They couldn't throw the ball well, so they just kept running and kept running and kept running. But they would get chunk yardage on the ground if it was to Darren Lee's side because Darren Lee can get blocked out of a play very easily. Yep, no doubt, man. So then in the second round, one of my, the biggest shocks of the draft to me was Christian Hackenberg, 
going to the Jets. You guys passed on passed on Paxton Lynch and came back with Christian Hackenberg. Now, what's your take on that? Yeah, man. You know, not that I loved Paxton Lynch, but you saw enough upside to say he's worth a shot. 20th overall pick. You know, it's not like the CBA from back when Sam Bradford was drafted, where first overall, Sam Bradford, you're paying him $50 million guaranteed, $86 million total. He's never even took a snap. You know, teams used to try to trade back out of the top five under the last CBA because you had to pay rookies such astronomical contracts. But nowadays, you know, you're taking Paxton Lynch with the 20th overall pick. What's the max value of his contract over four years? Like $10 million and a little bit of change? You can take that risk, you know, especially you can develop him under hopefully Ryan Fitzpatrick for a couple of years. He's got enough upside. So for me, even though I didn't love him, I was willing to take that risk because the reality is you need a quarterback nowadays. So that's who I wanted at 20, even though I didn't love him per se. Mm-hmm. But um, Hackenberg in the second round, you know, I got so happy. The Houston Texans, they jumped up a couple of spots to jump one spot in front of us. I thought, oh, Bill O'Brien, he's reuniting with his college quarterback, jumping the Jets, who he knows has interest in Hackenberg. Bill O'Brien has come to save us. However, then they took Nick Martin, the center out of Notre Dame, leaving us with Christian Hackenberg. I mean, listen, the Jets did a ton of work with Hackenberg. Um, they went to his pro day. They had him in for a private workout. There's three years of film on him. Mm-hmm. You know, Penn State isn't even all that far from the Jets, so you can best believe that they had tons of scouts in the area all the time. But, oh, my gosh. I mean, there's just so much bad film <laughs> that it's – His screens. All you need to do is Google Christian Hackenberg's screen pass and just watch what comes up. It's it's horrifying. In, to think as that inaccurate as EJ's? Unbelievable. There's a couple passes. I can't, I'm trying to think of who they were playing in two of the games. Two of the games, it was the most egregious I've ever seen. He steps back, and he's flat-footed. He's not even stepping into the throw. He's flat-footed and just throws this ball into the marching band. It's yeah, a screen he, pass. It's a freaking screen pass. I can throw that. Just call me in for one play and tell me to throw a screen. Nowadays, you need to be able to hit those throws. Tom Brady throws that screen pass so good. And, and listen, you need to be precise with that throw because if you can hit the guy in stride so he doesn't have to break stride, he's going to be able to make a nice little run after the catch is what you want on a screen. That's the Pats' whole offense is just timing and quick twitch. They snap the ball, quick scream. That running back is already moving. Tom Brady already knows how to throw it out in front of his running backs so that he'll get it in motion and just take off. That is their yeah. offense. That's why one of the things that, you know, one of the knocks on the Patriots offense was that, you know, draft was that they didn't draft a running back. I'm sorry, but they could put you out there at satellite running back for the New England Patriots, and you'd probably get at least 100 yards. 100 yards 100 yards, maybe, maybe over the course of the entire season. Oh, yeah, season. over the course of a season. But the fact is, is it would happen. Why? Because Tom Brady just knows. He's like, okay, start running. I'm going to catch you in space. You're going to get six yards. Okay, that's one play. Good. Whatever. Next play. But, Drew, if I drop a ball, he might start whining at me and flailing his arms. That's true. I don't know if we could tolerate that. (laughs) So, in any event, though, it's Hackenberg's accuracy is a problem for me. And just the fact that you see so many times where – his footwork and just his his mechanics just completely break down. 
Yeah, and you know what? I mean, a lot of people I, – I watched a pretty interesting thing. It was like Christian Hackenberg Film Room. If you Google that on YouTube, you'll find like – I think it's about a 24-minute video. It, it's very well done. It's got like 64,000 views. I, I encourage you if you're interested in that type of thing to, to watch it. And the guy has a very overall positive outlook of Christian Hackenberg. And he made the video back in like January – and he said that he's one of his favorite prospects. He should be a first-round pick. And he kind of defends Hackenberg saying, like, listen, when Bill O'Brien was his coach, his footwork was pretty much immaculate. Look at all the things he's doing pre-snap. You know, he's diagnosing the defense. It's just, you know, he had such a bad offensive line, and that, would, that led to his demise oftentimes. And, you know, his footwork got screwed up once, you know, uh, with James Franklin came in, the new coach. Mm-hmm. And if you watch Gruden's QB camp, they showed – that he did have to switch up his footwork, even though he wasn't comfortable with that. So you know, who knows? it's got to be more than that, though. I get that. Maybe some of that stuff played a, a minor factor in it. But in order to see to, those bad of passes, missing on screen passes, being that inaccurate, you know, taking that many sacks. I mean, listen, if the guy is such a – if you go and watch that video, you're going you're gonna to think that Christian Hackenberg is Tom Brady with all the stuff he's doing, you know, pre-snap. Oh, yeah. He, he makes him out to be that. Like, you know, look at what he's doing, a freshman quarterback doing all these things. It, it's just crazy. Um, but I'm thinking, like, listen, if he was really that good at doing all these things pre-snap, why, why did he take this over his career? Why did did he take all these hits over his career if he's that good? Why not check down to mm-hmm. more safer throws, get the ball out quicker, like we saw Tom Brady do in week two against you guys this past year? That offensive line where the Patriots was bad all season. All season they were terrible. However, Tom Brady was clean that entire game. Why? Because he got the ball out quick because he is a heady player. And they say that about Hackenberg. They say he's great on the whiteboard. Why didn't it show on the field, though? Well, and that's one of the biggest questions I have is if this guy's so good, why couldn't he at least keep himself out of harm's way? You know, it's it's one of those things. A good quarterback knows pressure, can sense pressure, gets rid of the ball. I don't know. I just feel like... Mm. My outlook, Drew, is... <laughs> I'm praying that I'm wrong, that I'm not entirely optimistic. Yeah. I mean, and I don't blame you because I did the same thing with EJ Manuel, and it did not work out. So I gave the Jets a C plus. Okay. And I, I gave th- the Jets a C. Okay, C. So you, I was more generous than you were. The Christian Hackenberg, I have the pegs as my worst pick. The best pick I had was Jordan Jenkins. I think yeah, he's going to be everyone's favorite pick. He's going to be a good player on the. I'm, I'm an SEC guy. I watch a lot of SEC football. He's going to be a good player on the edge for you guys. He really is. Yeah, he's not going to be a, a pass rushing demon off the edge. No. that's going to rack up sacks and continuous pressure. But he's a guy that he's going to get all the little things done. You know, Rex Ryan when he was with the Jets, he always used to praise Brian Thomas. He's a guy who does all the little things. Might not show up in the stat sheet, but he makes your defense better. And I think that's what you're getting in Jordan Jenkins, who's going to be a solid starter for many years in the league, but he's not going to be an overly flashy player that's making Pro Bowls. Um, You know, here's another thing with the Jets, and and this is another reason why I kind of knocked their grade down a little bit, is they didn't have, what was it? They didn't have a fifth-round pick, so they wanted to get back into the fifth round. And why didn't they have a fifth-round pick? They traded to get Ryan Clayton. How did they get back into the fifth round this year? They traded a fourth round pick for next year. 
So clearly, that's, you know, doesn't seem like equal value there. Now, they must have valued this kid dearly. But if you think about that for a second, the Jets traded a fourth-round pick to get Brandon Shell. That's more than what they traded to get Brandon Marshall. That's more than what they traded to get Ryan Fitzpatrick. And that's more than what they traded to get Ryan Clady. So then he needs to be a stud. Theoretically, you, you hope that he's going to at least compete with Breno Giacomini, who, mm-hmm. as you said in that lovely intro that you guys made for me, that was actually on that was actually on there. that was actually on Dallas Thomas. Oh, was it Dallas Thomas? Yes, that was. I, I must have said something bad about Breno too. Yes. Oh no, actually no. I think he was talking about Bren Giacomini. I from when I was listening to make your intro, I distinctly remember. Either one of the, one of those two clips of you talking is about Dallas Thomas, not about yourself. As I made it to seem seem like <laughs> he's he's a bum. I just like yeah, the, so, I just so like the, here's my grades. I okay. gave the Jets a C. I gave the Patriots a C. I gave the Dolphins a B, and I gave the Bills an A minus. Wow. Well, you were more flattering than I was. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Kyle, we're going to get going here, but it's always a pleasure having you on the show, man. I love it. I, I love being here, man. Thanks so, for having me, guys. So why don't you do – guys, anybody out there listening to this, do yourself a favor and on Tuesday nights if you're bored. Why don't you give a call to the AFC East Bros podcast? They get a little bit of Buffalo Bills, a little bit of New York Jets, and I'll tell you, it's some great conversation. Kyle, why don't you give everybody your number and tell them a little bit about what your show is? Yeah, so I have to go and get the number because we recently switched our number. But our show is the AFC East Bros Podcast. We are on Tuesday evenings, and we talk all things AFC East. We try to keep it really um, fan-driven. Like, Obviously, we have, have predefined topics that we're going to talk about. But essentially, if someone wants to call in and switch up the topic, it's open. You, know, you say what you want. Unless so, you're 15. You say that again, Chris? Unless you're 15. Unless you're 15, then my older brother Gary, the resident Bills fan, he's going to make you feel like a piece of garbage. (laughs) He will hulk up and punk you in front of everybody on the internet. He he doesn't care. We were talking about this before we got on air that he's like that guy that he's going to um, visit the the children in the hospital and he's going to play them in Madden and run up the score 100 to 0. He doesn't care. (laughs) That's awesome. All right, but the number is 712-451-0011. When you get in, you dial pin number, which is 321-848. Hey, listen, we'd like, like to get a lot more Bills fans calling in to, to kind of um, tip the favor out the back New York in the, Jets. In the, yeah, we get, we get a lot of Jets because, you know, I was calling into a whole bunch of Jets podcasts before I started doing my, our own thing. So we have fun with it, and we do, you know, a couple of non-live shows here and there, and we hope to do more of those. But, uh, hey, listen, you guys have an awesome show. Keep yeah. saying, I heard best produced show. Yeah, I'm hearing around criminally underrated, as you like to call it. I, I I'll take that to the grave, man. Yeah, and I don't, I, know, I, I don't know why you guys aren't getting. Yeah, I listened to your guys last show. You say only our mothers are listening. That's not true. I'm listening. I know Gary's listening as well. Well, I appreciate our that. mothers and Kyle. <laughs> mothers and Kyle are <laughs> listening to the show. And I actually, you know, actually, I heard last night you guys had a uh, pretty. Pretty big celeb call in. I heard Yoko Zuna called in to your show. <laughs> Good Gary Lord. Gary wants you to stop that. All right. It's his list. Leave him alone about it. Oh, well, too bad. Yeah, well, it's it's going to be real bad when he gives you an atomic wedgie in front of everybody. It's going to be great. I can't wait for that. October 16th, <laughs> we'll have Gary up here for the uh, 49ers and Bills game. 
Kyle, it's always a pleasure, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. All right. And for me and Chris, guys, we're going to wrap it up tonight. If anybody has anything, you know, you guys want to send us your takes, you guys have anything you want us to talk about on the show next week, hit us up at either at, you know, on Twitter, at Rockpile Report, or email us, rockpilereport 716 at gmail.com. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's Kyle from AFC East Bros. And this has been the Rockpile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.